Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Now, since I didn't go to seminary and I can't read the original text, what I often do is I'll read two different versions to make sure, you know, uh, I'm understanding the interpretation of the original text as much as possible. So since this is so short this morning, I thought I would do that. Um, so from the English Standard Version, ESV, it reads, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then from the New International Version, it reads, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your great love for us, that at just the right time, you sent your son to be born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. We thank you that he obeyed and came and lived a perfect life and died that sacrificial death on the cross and rose again the third day. Would you help us always to see this Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord? And would you help these moments together to point us to him for all our hope, for all our days. So Spirit, would you do that? I can't create anything in anyone else, but you can. And so would you do that through your word and by the power of your spirit, even now, in Jesus' name, amen. So Colossians 2, 6 and 7, thank you Gary for reading for us this morning. These two verses uh, are really at the heart of the letter, and that's why we're taking time. We're not usually in a book like this preaching on only two verses, and some of you are already like hoping uh, about sermon length because of that. Sorry, I can't make any promises. I'm not promising one way or the other. That's, that's the worst. Those of you who remember um, Ian, there was one time he was very sure it was going to be short. It was like a ice Sunday. There weren't very many people here. We came anyway. So I'm not going to preach the one I prepared. I'll just do a little devotional thought, you know, for my own time with the Lord on Friday, you know, 15 minutes. And I think it was about five minutes longer than his normal um, <laughs> length. So I'll make no promises about the length of the text related to the length of the sermon today. But we thought it was worth slowing down and kind of pulling on all the threads in these couple verses. Usually we're taking at least a paragraph, sometimes a larger chunk, and seeing how it all fits together. We will be seeing how it all connects to the rest of the letter today. But this is really like where everything's been going so far, and then everything that comes after this is going to flow out of the text from today. So, 
Colossians 2, 6, and 7, they build on what Paul's already said. Everything else is going to be worked out in the application from that. So even though it's shorter than what we'd usually choose, it seems warranted. We want to slow down and make sure we're getting it. Sometimes when we're getting kind of big picture stuff, it's like, all right, did we get it? All right, on to the next thing. And we want to sit for a minute and see what the Lord has for us from just these two verses. And the big idea that we'll see through them is that Christ is the heart of the Christian life. Christ is the heart of the Christian life. You even heard it in the two different uh, versions that were read. You heard, walk in him, right? That was in the ESV. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then in the NIV, it was something like, continue to live in him. And you're like, wait, so which word is it? Is it walk or live? And the answer, of course, is yes. Uh, the literal word is walk. But it didn't mean there's a special Christian way to put one foot in front of the other, right? It's not like I'm not going to do any demonstrations of walks right now. <laughs> It was that close. <laughs> so you can think of how different people walk down the sidewalk, right? That's not it. It's not like, oh, they're a Christian. I can see. I can see how, how long their stride is, how wide they step. It's like, no, that's not it, right? So it's, it's a metaphor. It's a word to help us understand an idea. And it does mean walk, but it's about how we live in our daily walk. Right? We think of how we go through our lives, and the Bible in many places, and Paul especially, uses this word walk to signify how we move through our lives. He says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, you move through your life in him. That's what's going on in this text, that Christ is the heart of the Christian life. He's not just the start of the Christian life. He's the heart of the Christian life. We don't get off to a good start. We needed forgiveness of sins. Boy, glad he did that. Uh, we needed to be reconciled to God. Sure, glad he took care of that. And then now, like, okay, I gotta, so, but what do I do, though? What do I, like, I have to have, I have to contribute something to this. There has to be a way that I'm, like, part of this. It says the way you got in is the way you keep going. Christ is the start and the heart of the Christian life. And when I say everything's been kind of building to this, we see in verse 6, with that so walk in him or so continue to live in him, that is the first command, the first imperative in this letter. There will be like 30-something to come in the last few chapters. But everything has been set up for this moment. Paul has said how he's thankful for God's work in our lives and the grace of the gospel at work in us that, we, that the Colossians heard and understood the grace of God in truth and it produced a result in them. Faith in Jesus Christ, love for all the saints. And then he prays for them and records that prayer that they would grow, that they would bear fruit and be growing in the knowledge of God strengthened with all of his strength, which is one of those where like, yes, that's what I need because I cannot do this on my own. And so he prays for them and that prayer is about how they would grow in Christ and in likeness 
to Christ. And then as he's praying for them and he mentions Jesus and the forgiveness of sins that we have through him, he just kind of stops. And in verses 15 and following, right, he's going, he's the image of the invisible God. He is the one who created everything. He's over everything. He's the one who created all the rulers and authorities and powers, everything we think is big and important and powerful in this life. Jesus made that. He's over that. That person, that system cannot go in inch beyond what God has ordained in Christ because everything was created through him and everything was created for him. And so we felt a call to live according to him and who he is, but the actual command hadn't come yet. And then Paul describes in what we saw last week, his participation in Christ on behalf of those who would hear the good news and his sufferings, his willingness to lose in order to proclaim Christ. He says, we proclaim him. Our goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. And how do you do it? Is it the secret sauce? Is it the big program? Is it, okay, now we know and here's, here's the deep stuff we never could get to when we just had to talk about Jesus. He's like, no, right? Christ, he's the one that we proclaim. He is God's mystery. He is the hope of glory. He is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so Paul is after the Colossian churches and our church's faith in Christ. That we would have a steady, sure faith in Christ. Because he's not just the start so he's been talking a lot about the start and a lot about what his hopes are because of that good start. And now he says, okay, therefore, based on all that we've said so far in this letter, we've been building up to this moment. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Continue to live in him. That where you go in your journey is a journey with him. There's no point in our Christian life where it's like, well, that was good and that's in the past and now we just got to do it. Now we just got to figure it out. It's always Jesus. It's only Jesus. Christ is the heart of the Christian life. So we walk in Christ. We go, but how, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, he says, just like you received him, which we'll talk about, but then there's a few other words, right? Rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, which leads to lots of reasons to be grateful. And so that's what we're going to be working through this morning, that we must live and grow as Christians the same way we started, by faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. And so there's some words in that first part of verse 6 that we might skip over because we hear, like, okay, just like I received Christ, that's how I got to live. But it doesn't just say Christ. And we're kind of used to that. He's been calling Jesus Christ almost as a name uh, in a lot of the letter. We're using it as kind of the theme in our series, right? The word Christ is in every title and it will keep being, just for anybody who's wondering about that, all the way to the end of the series that we walk in Christ. But here he says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. 
Now, the kids know this, so Christ is used as a name here, but Christ isn't just Jesus' last name. In fact, one of the reasons we know that is here it's his first name. You're like, wait a second. It's like switching the names around, what's going on? But kids, you know that Christ is not really a name, right? It's a title, right? And what does that title mean? What does that title mean? Somebody maybe under 15. You're def- you definitely qualify. What's that? Savior. Savior. That's close. There's another word in here that means Savior. It definitely includes that he's going to save his people. But what is of the essence? Yeah. Yes. So Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Okay? And what was the Messiah? He was the promised one who is going to come to save, and so that's where you're not wrong. He's the promised one who's going to come to save his people. The one who is going to come and do something about the problem of sin. One of the reasons that Christ is all is because he's like over all creation. He's the Lord of creation, the Lord of the church, as we saw a couple weeks ago. It's all about him from beginning to end in the story, right? So if he created everything and we were supposed to live for his glory, but then we didn't, right? We deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. But even from the garden, before God would send his people away from the garden because of their sin, he gave them a hint of a promise. That first hint of that big promise that someone from Eve was going to crush the head of the serpent even as his heel was bruised. They didn't understand all that that meant when that promise first came to them. But that promise grew as the story of the Old Testament continued on, as God gave promises to Abram and Isaac and Jacob, as he gave promises to Moses and to Israel and to David, as God gave these promises, this almost legend, but it's not a legend because it's true, kept growing and growing and growing. Who's going to come? Messiah. The promised one is going to come and do something about all the wrong in us and all the wrong around us. And at just the right time, the Messiah came. And so Christ, anywhere we see that in the New Testament, that's the word that means promised one, anointed one, the one anointed by God himself to accomplish what God sent him to do which was to save his people from their sins. So he's Christ. And it's not just a word that's, oh yeah, okay, I know that means Jesus. We don't want to make that quick of a connection. We want to see he's the promised one, the one who came to do what we could not do for ourselves. And he's Christ Jesus, which means Savior, or Yahweh saves. Jesus saves is the Savior. So again, sometimes we just hear, it's like, okay, we know someone's name. And I know some of you, your names, I guess probably everybody's name means something, right? And, and sometimes parents, when we're naming our children, we're thinking like, how does it sound? What letter does it start with, right? We want to have everything the same, and that's good if you did that. And if you go, okay, so what letter did it start with, or, or does everything rhyme, 
right? How does it work? How do they work together? You, know, you can't have names that are too close like to each other in the same, you know, with siblings. Uh, I had friends in high school, Joey and Joy. Brother and sister, you're apart. It's like, wait, who, did you just say the same name twice? It's like, yes, that's what we always thought when their parents were calling them. It's like, Joey! It's like, so, it kind of works like everyone just comes, right, if they're being obedient. No one comes anyway if they're not. But it made it a little tricky for those of us who knew them. So some of it's about sounds, like what it might start with, not being too close to others. And then some are trying really hard at like deep meanings with the names of the people in their family, the ones they get to name. And biblically, very often, the names we know from the Old Testament, they are filled with meaning. And certainly the name of Jesus is filled with with meaning. It means that he's the Savior. So especially when paired with Christ, Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, he is the Savior who was anointed by God to do what we could not do for ourselves, to give us salvation and life and hope. And it's not just about what a word means, right? So it's like we don't want to just go, oh, I know that guy. We don't want to just be lost in like word meanings either because he is a real person, Jesus. And we learn about him in his word. We learn about him in the gospels especially and what he did, how he lived, what he taught, how he loved and healed and then ultimately gave his life in the place of sinners. He's not just an idea. He's a living person who has always lived but at just the right time came to live as one of us and lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live, but none of us has. And instead of just condemning us, which he could have easily and rightfully done, he said, I will die for that one. And he gave his own life for us, taking our sins in his body on the tree. He is Christ Jesus, but he is also here Christ Jesus the Lord. So some translations will have, as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, either way there, he is Christ Jesus who is the Lord. And everyone who belongs to him recognizes him as such, right? We've already seen that earlier in Colossians, that he's the one who created all. He's the one who is over all. He's the one who should come to have first place in everything. Christ first, Christ above all. But this is another word that we can kind of get used to, right? Just that some of us, that's like the main way we talk about God or talk about Christ. He's the Lord. And Paul will actually do that as we continue in Colossians. Right? We've got a children obey your parents coming up. It's going to be exciting. <laughs> right? Why? In the Lord. Right? Not because they're bigger, not because they're stronger, not even because they know better, though usually they do. Even when they don't. In the Lord. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's in a few weeks. We're just warming up. We're getting ready. (laughs) It's a message that can't be preached too often. Amen? 
<laughs> so he's going to use in the Lord or of the Lord or for the Lord uh, just as kind of one name that will stand for Jesus Christ the Lord as we're going forward in the letter. So he uses Christ, he uses Jesus, he uses the Lord. So in one sense, they're all words for who Jesus is. But when he's Christ Jesus, who is the Lord, there's a reminder in there for us. He is indeed the Lord of all. To receive Christ is to receive him for who he really is. Not just who we want him to be. Not on our terms. Not according to what we're comfortable with. Right? Because we can get that way. It's like we are so informed in some areas by our culture that we see what the Bible says and say, well, I can't get with that. Right? It's like, my God doesn't act like that. My God doesn't think that. Like, so what, what we're admitting when we think that way is like, my God is not Jesus Christ the Lord. It's something else. But he is the Lord. The Lord of all. We saw back in chapter 1, he's over thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. We'll see as we look forward a little bit in chapter 2. That he is the one who disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Christ through his cross. He's the head in verse 10, just a few verses ahead of where we are today. He is the head of all rule and authority. So he's Lord of all. And maybe we're used to that idea. It's like, yep, he's the Lord. Nobody else can rival him. All these other gods, all these other religions are just going after false gods and they're nothing and they're empty because he's the Lord. It's like, yeah. He's not only Lord of all. If we receive Christ Jesus as Lord, he must be Lord of us. It's not just we like the idea of him as Lord so he can take care of all those problems out there and other people. Now, he can, and he will. But a true Christian recognizes the greatest problems are not outside. The greatest dangers are not in those other people. They're inside. He is Lord of us. And so as we receive Christ Jesus as our Savior, we at the same time receive him as our Lord. The Bible doesn't know anything about a two-stage Christianity. It's like we receive him as our Savior, and then later on, it's like, well, maybe, maybe he'll become their Lord. And it's like, nope, he's the Lord already. <laughs> now, there are moments day by day when every one of us forgets that he's our Lord, and we go our own way, and we do our own thing, and we need to be brought back. We need a reminder. How do we walk? How do we continue to live? In Christ Jesus, who is the Lord. And so this description of Jesus, the Lord, will show up a lot in the following sections of the letter. And he'll be spelling out, Paul will, in some detail, what it looks like to live with Jesus as Lord of us because he is Lord of all. So, 
When we get to, before we get to like, how do we walk? How do we walk in him? Who is him? Who is he? He is Christ Jesus the Lord, the promised, anointed by God himself, Savior, who came to do what he was sent to do and did it because he's the Lord. He does what he sets out to do. He accomplishes all his purposes. And so we are called to walk or to live, to continue our life just as we received Christ Jesus as Lord. Just as we received Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. We live in him. And how do we do it? We do it as we received him. And so he's referring here to when they first heard the good news about Jesus. He talks about that in verses 3 through 8, how the gospel came to them. From Epaphras, he's the one who came to them and told them the good news about Jesus, the grace of God in truth, and that they understood it. They heard it and understood it and responded with faith. They received the teaching, but not just the teaching. Very often in the New Testament, when this word received, that's translated received, is used, it's talking about receiving a tradition, receiving a teaching. And that certainly included, we received the teaching of Christ Jesus as Lord, but it doesn't say received the teaching. It says we received Christ Jesus as the Lord. That as we hear the good news about him, we don't just say, I agree with that. We receive him. And how did we do that? Is he saying, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to walk in him? How did we receive him? In our own strength? No. By our own wisdom? No. On our own terms? No. The soul that recognizes, I am ruined, I am lost, as Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, right? He sees the holiness of God. He's like, I'm wrecked. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live in the middle of a people of unclean lips because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. It's like, I'm wrecked. There is no hope. There's no deals with God in that moment. So, you know what, Lord, if you, um, if you would, you know, save me and stuff, then I'll kind of do this. I was like, if you can do this, then I'll do that. There's no negotiating. There's no dealing there's no like, kind of posturing. It's like, I can, no, we recognize who we really are before him. And he says, your iniquity is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. We hear that good news and we receive him. That's how we got our start. Not by our own wisdom, not by our own might, not by our good negotiating. I work out a deal and now I get a little reprieve. I'm okay now. No. We are empty before the king and he fills us up. We're dead and he makes us alive. We're far off and he brings us near through the blood of Christ. Christ Jesus, the Lord. And so we keep going the same way we started, by trusting him, by seeing him as our only hope of righteous standing before God, by recognizing him as Lord, the one who has the right to direct us. We look to him 
to his person, his work, and his teaching. In verse 7, Paul gives us some metaphors to help us understand what that looks like. He says, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him or keep living in him. Keep going in your Christian life in him. We go, well, how does that, how does that work? How does that happen for us? What does it look like to walk in Christ Jesus the Lord? It looks first like we're going to be grounded. See that first word of verse 7. Rooted. The idea is rooted like a tree. And it connects back to the prayer in 110 where he prays that we would be fruitful. What's the only way we can be fruitful? (laughs) If we're connected to the vine, to use John's analogy, analogy, John's imagery in John 15, if we're connected to the vine who is Christ, then we have life and will bear fruit. And so we must be rooted. We must be rooted in Christ. Bearing fruit only happens on trees that are rooted into the ground. It doesn't happen. If there's already fruit, it might hang on for a minute once a tree is uprooted. But fruit only grows when trees are rooted. Weeds can also be rooted. Any of you hate weeding like me? Okay, I see that hand. Everyone else loves it. I see that hand. Thank you. So weeding is, you know what? We have a lot of weeds at our house, and I've got a lot of happy people in the front row because we are going to invite everybody over, (laughs) and you can weed. You come any day of the week, all summer, and there will be something to pull, right? And the best thing to do with weeds, now there's sometimes it's like, all right, let's take that weed whacker, right? But what happens? Comes back. Right? Why? Because you didn't actually deal with it. Right? So we did that recently. It's like there's an area that grows up, and I don't know that we could ever get everything out unless we, like, dropped a bomb there or something. Which is advisable. It's very close to our neighbor's fence. And so, like, we're like, oh, we may need access to the back. So it's like, okay, we got this. Man, it looks so good. But it gets overgrown again so fast. Right? Because we didn't really deal with it. We didn't really get down to the roots. And so when we're doing actual weeding, instead of just trying to clear that one area in the backyard, it's tough. And we have some really resilient weeds in our yard. It's frustrating. But you've got to get to the bottom of it, right? And you pull, and so it's frustrating, but then when you finally get one and you get it well, it feels so good. Right? If you got, it's like pretty big, and you pull it and you realize, like, I got the whole thing. (laughs) The whole root system is gone, right? And what happens with one that's rooted really well? When you pull up the root system, what actually happens? The ground lets it go. Right? The ground gives up, says, You're stronger than I am today, but only for this one. The ground lets it go because there's enough force and the roots are just loose enough and it can't hold. When there's a good root system in good soil, it's difficult to uproot that plant or weed or tree. It is not easily shaken. But when we're rooted in Christ... 
He's the solid ground that does not give way. Right? When we pull up that root system, it's like, well, I got to shake a lot of that back down there because there's a big hole now. Right? That doesn't happen with him. He's the solid ground. Our roots go down deep. He does not let us go. No one is strong enough to rip us out by the roots when we're rooted in Jesus. He will never give way. And so we won't either. And so if you feel like you're fragile right now in your walk with Christ, it's like, am I doing enough? Did I do it right? I did that thing again. Do not look to yourself. Look to Christ Jesus, the Lord, who gave his own life for you, who comes to you ready to forgive as you come to him again in confession and repentance. Have your faith rooted, your life rooted in Christ the Lord. So we want to be grounded, rooted. The next metaphor, the next word picture in verse 7, rooted and built up in him. And this kind of points us back to that initial prayer as well, bearing fruit and growing. So we go from the garden or the field to a building. And the New Testament, the Old Testament and New Testament both use both of these pictures quite a bit. So it's not going to be too foreign to the Colossians and it's not going to be too foreign to us, right? We build on a good foundation and we don't build in a different way, right? It'd be foolish to have a foundation it's like, you know what, I'm going to build like just kind of one foot off next to it. It's like, no, it's there. It's there to be built on. It's like, yeah, but I've got some really good ideas from somewhere else. No, build on the foundation that's been laid, that we didn't lay, we can't lay. It is Jesus Christ. We are built up in him. It's not something else. When Paul wanted to present everyone mature in Christ so that we would grow, he proclaimed Christ. There's a way in which to the Corinthians, he kind of says, that's all I got, right? I decided to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. It's almost like he thought that was enough. It's almost like he really believed that Christ was enough for everything his people faced. And he really believed it because it's really true. That if we have Christ, we have everything. And without Christ, we have nothing. So we want to be grounded, rooted, but also growing. That we are being built into Christ, on Christ. And as we do, we are established in the faith. And that's what the very next words are in verse 7. Rooted and built up in him. So it's rooted in him, built up in him, and established in the faith. This one comes from, this metaphor comes from a different place than the other ones, right? So one's from the field, one's from the building. This one's from like legal transactions. That it's established, it's settled, it's guaranteed. And so when he's talking about established in the faith, he's saying that we are grounded, that we have the guarantee of that content of genuine 
Christianity, that Jesus Christ is the Lord who came at just the right time, died for the ungodly, rose again on the third day, and is coming again in power and glory. We want to be established in that faith. We have the promise of that faith. And we get a hint that it's leaning in this direction when he says, just as you were taught. It's like with all these things, like this is what you heard. When Epaphras came and gave you the good news and told you, there's this Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. He came, he lived, he died, he rose. And if you trust in him even now, you will share in his life both now and forever. It says you heard that good news and you received it. And as you receive it, you're established in the faith. Then the last word picture in verse 7. Abounding in thanksgiving or overflowing with thanksgiving. Overflowing with gratitude. We want to be grounded. We want to be growing. We have the guarantee of the promise of the gospel through the faith. And we by God's grace, if that's happening, we will be grateful. One of the marks of God's people is thanksgiving. And there will be a message at thanksgiving about thanksgiving, still from here in Colossians, because Paul's not done talking about thanksgiving. But as we often say once we get to that time of year, right, it's like we don't want, you know, why, why do we save all of our thanksgiving stuff for Thanksgiving Day? Right? And why do we save all our generosity for Christmas Day? It's like, couldn't we just have these feelings all year? And I'm not saying we should abolish um, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Please do not hear that. But for those of us who are in Christ, every day is Thanksgiving Day. Because today is a day that I'm alive and that I belong both body and soul and in life and in death to God and to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved and gave himself for me. It doesn't mean that it's easy every day to be thankful. There's still lots that's wrong in this world. There's still lots that's wrong with us. It's hard to be thankful when we feel like our body's falling apart. It's hard to be thankful when we look around in our city and feel like everything is falling apart. It's hard to be thankful when we look around at our world and know that things are literally blowing apart. But for those who are in Christ, even in the midst of all that, there is thanksgiving. And he says here, it's overflowing with thanksgiving. That's going to be the mark of the Christian. You want to stand out in our city? Be grateful. Right? I don't know what it's like at your work. Everyone's really grateful uh, here. It's not a comment about Richie. Right? It's like at your, at your work, or as you interact, as you're at ShopRite or Acme or Giant or wherever, you know, how do we look different? What's like the Christian way to go grocery shopping? Grateful that you belong to God through Christ. And because of that, grateful that we have good gifts to enjoy because of Christ. Grateful that we have the money or the generosity of others to have a gift card to buy those groceries. 
Grateful that in his kindness we get to eat them and enjoy them. And as we're going through the grocery store that way, we might look a little different than most people who walk through there, right? I don't know, you guys go to different grocery stores than I do? (laughs) As we try to work through broken systems in our city and are met with frustration at every turn, right? None of you have ever felt that either. It's It's also just me. Right, and things don't work the way they should, and you don't get the service that you should, right? As we are walking through with gratitude that we belong to Christ, in life or in death, in this situation and the next one, he is with us, and we have him. When we know we belong to him, we will be grateful. And he gives us so much more along with Christ, doesn't he? If all we had was Christ, we would have more than we could ever need and be more rich than we could ever imagine. And he gives us along with him so much more. We have so much to be grateful for. Christ is the heart of the Christian life. By his grace, we want him to be our way of life. How do you do things in Christ? Because of your union with him. How do you do things? With Christ. Because he is with you. We must live and grow as Christians the same way we started. By faith in Christ Jesus the Lord. As Tim Keller, who passed away earlier this year, said the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A to Z. It's everything. Christ is is all. And so what is the Christian life? The Christian life then becomes a fight to remember who we are, where we came from, where we're going, all because of Jesus Christ the Lord. Day by day, moment by moment, from going to work, from being at home, from going to the grocery store, from just doing those things, errands that you have to do. How do we do this, this moment? How do I do this moment with and for Christ because I am in him? That's what we want driving us. How do I deal with that person who's impossible? How did Jesus deal with me who is impossible? It doesn't mean that what we do doesn't matter, right? In fact, it makes it matter all the more. In some cases that we're doing something with Christ doesn't change what we do. Like we still go to the grocery store. We still go to work. There's a lot of things you'll still do, but we do them differently because we're with him, because we belong to him. So in some cases, it doesn't change what we do at all. It just changes how we do it. But there are also moments we're recognizing that Jesus Christ the Lord is ours and we are his and he is in us does change what we do moves us to do things that we would not have otherwise done because we belong to him. Also will move us to stop doing things that we're doing now because we belong to him. Sometimes it doesn't change what we do, it changes how, but it also will change what we do and what we don't do. We want to live by God's grace in this constant pattern of hearing and believing the good news about Christ Jesus the Lord.
And so how did they receive him? They heard the stories about him. Where are those preserved now? In his word. And so what's one way to walk in Christ the way that you received Christ Jesus the Lord is to be in his word where we see him revealed for who he is. We see who we are. We see what he has done for us in Jesus and how he wants us to relate to him and to others. We also have a part to play in one another's lives. So at that point, the New Testament wasn't written. They heard the word from Epaphras, but we also get to share the word with one another. And so consider what you have been taught, but we also participate in teaching and encouraging one another, always from God's word and always toward Christ. And as we hear his word, we trust him and we keep trusting him. And so, in closing this morning, what is the functional foundation of your life? Well, you say, like, well, as long as I'm rooted in that, I'm good, because I know that's going to be okay. But as long as that's intact, everything's fine. What are you functionally rooted in, building on, counting on? What gives you direction for your life? What gives you the power to go in that direction? For those of us who belong to Christ, our story must be Jesus. Only Jesus. Always Jesus. Because Christ is the start and the heart of the Christian life. Let's pray. Oh God, would you help us? We are so easily distracted running our own way, running after other things. Would you remind us by your word, by your spirit, even through brothers and sisters, that Christ, you are everything. You are above all. You are Lord of us, and by your grace, you have saved us. And so would you help us this week that as we received Christ Jesus the Lord, oh God, help us to walk in him, rooted in him, built up in him, established in that faith that we have received. And would you cause us to be a people who are overflowing with gratitude for who you are and what you have done for us in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen.